BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Dead Texas Book 2. No Comfort. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter 1. Two hours. Two long hours since the trio of survivors had escaped the zombie horde at the docks, and they still didn't feel safe. Even though it had barely been a day, they'd gotten so used to the danger, the constant battle for their lives, that it was difficult to relax. In two hours, it was difficult to have hope. Two hours since Ben had avenged the murder of his girlfriend by putting a bullet in Agent Jackson's kneecap, leaving him to be food for the enemy. Two hours of slowly bobbing up the Guadalupe River in their attempt to escape the horror and make it out west. How's the fuel looking, Sparks? Jeff asked, running a hand over his bald head. Not too good, Officer Lacey Sparks replied. The current is picking up a bit, though, so I think we could cut it and coast. Water is getting a little shallow for my tastes, Last thing we need is to blow out the motor by hitting some rocks. The redhead motioned to the rocks at the bottom of the river. Not a bad idea, Jeff nodded. If some of those things spot us, it would be good to have the ability to make a speedy getaway. He glanced at the kid, pursing his lips. Yo, Ben, how you doing, man? Jeff asked gently, but there was no response. His dark-skinned companion hadn't said a thing the entire trip. His eyes were glazed over staring into nothingness, still in shock. Jeff softly put his hand on Ben's shoulder, and the kid still didn't say anything, but turned a steely glare at the older man. The skinhead immediately removed his hand, nodding and backing off. Just give him some time, Jeff, Spark said quietly, and her companion nodded in agreement. The only sound between the three of them was the babbling trickle of water, and had it been any other situation... It might have even been soothing. An explosion racked the stillness of the night, and they all startled, tensing right back up again. What the fuck was that? Jeff exclaimed. Sounds like it's coming from up ahead, Sparks replied, brow furrowing. I thought we weren't going to be coming close to civilization. He responded with a snarky question. The redhead pulled out her phone and opened up a GPS app. The 281 bridge is just up ahead she said. 
If this thing has hit San Antonio, it's possible people are already trying to get away. Jeff grunted as he grasped the two emergency oars, extending one to Ben. I know you're hurting, man, but we might need you to paddle here in a minute. The kid eyed the oar reluctantly, reaching out to accept it before turning to continue his staring into the darkness. Jeff stood at the bow of the boat, steering it as best he could in the dark around a bend. A gasp escaped Sparks' lips at the sight of the bridge of flaming wreckage. There was a massive pileup of cars, one at the far end on fire. Without a fire department to deal with the blaze, it made its way from car to car, detonating them as they went. You think someone's in there? Jeff asked, motioning to a trapped car surrounded by zombies. If there are, there's nothing we can do for them, Sparks replied, clenching her jaw. They watched helplessly as the fire spread to the car. A zombie managed to get up on top of the car, and upon reaching the sunroof, flew backwards with a pop-pop of gunfire. Fucking hell, Jeff snapped. Someone is in there. We have to paddle, Sparks instructed. And do it now. Watch the rocks. It looks like the river is only a few feet deep here. Jeff tapped Ben a little harder than was maybe necessary. He wasn't happy about having to leave these people to die, but he knew that it was their only play. The kid nodded and dipped his oar into the water. They propelled themselves silently under the bridge, holding their breaths to try not to attract any attention. Just as they cleared the other side, there was a scream and another pepper of gunfire. Sparks turned just as a body fell from the bridge, the sickening crack of a spine making them all wince as it hit the water. A few more splashes as half a dozen zombies flopped down. Might be a good time for the motor, Jeff piped up, as the zombies managed to pick themselves up from the rocks and stagger through the water at them. We need about 30 more yards to clear the rocks, Sparks replied with a shake of her head. And I wouldn't worry, they look far too damaged to keep up with us. I think we're good, Sparks, Jeff agreed as they floated into a deeper portion of river, the zombies struggling to keep their heads above water. She nodded and fired up the motor, staring them into the darkness once again. Chapter Two The engine let out a few rough chugs before shutting off completely. Well, that's all she wrote on the motor, Sparks said, and the guys dipped their oars back into the water to continue paddling. What the hell time is it anyway? Jeff asked after a few strokes. She checked her phone. Close to one. We really should be thinking of finding some shelter soon, he suggested. We need to get some rest. Sparks opened up the GPS again. Looks like there are some structures about a mile upriver. Could be some houses. Here's hoping it's some rich people wanting the river lifestyle, and not the deliverance kind of river people, Jeff grunted on the upstroke. She couldn't help but chuckle in reply. So you prefer champagne over moonshine, I take it? I prefer a thousand thread count sheets over the prospect of squealing like a pig, he said. No argument there, Sparks agreed. Before long, they paddled up to a dock that led to a large two-story home. As they bumped against the wood, Sparks leapt out and tied off the boat. Well, there you go, Jeff, she said, wiping her hands on her pants. Looks like we're sleeping in style this evening. 
After the day we've had, it's about time we caught a fucking break, he said with a roll of his eyes. And look, the power is still on too. Hopefully that means cold beer. First things first. Sparks pulled out her handgun and cocked it. We have to make sure we're alone. Ben held out his gun to Jeff, who raised an eyebrow as he took it. Why don't you hang on to this man? The skinhead asked. I can handle myself. Ben pulled out his knife and stuck it between his teeth, cracking his knuckles before taking hold of the blade again. I'm good. Jeff shrugged as the kid led the way at a brisk pace, his companions following close behind, guns at the ready. He flung open the door and stalked straight in, Sparks and Jeff flanking him, each taking a side to make sure the main floor of the house was clear. Ben led them into the living room and clenched his jaw. Come and get me, motherfuckers, he screamed suddenly, causing both Sparks and Jeff to startle, whipping around to stare at him, wide-eyed. A zombie barreled out of the kitchen, a formerly well-dressed soccer mom covered head to toe in blood. Ben, get down, Sparks cried, trying to line up a shot. He ignored her, standing his ground as the woman screeched towards him. When she was within grabbing distance, he ducked and grabbed her thighs, standing up and slamming her down onto her back. As soon as she hit the floor, Ben leapt onto her chest, stabbing her in the face repeatedly. Die, 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 he cried, tears streaming down his face as he continued to stab the zombie long after she stopped flopping around. Jeff and Sparks shared a worried glance. Why don't you clear the house, the skinhead asked. I got this. He inclined his head to the maniacal kid, and she nodded, moving quietly out of the living room. As soon as she was gone, Jeff walked over and shoved Ben with all his might, sending him to the floor. The knife clattered and skittered away. What the fuck, man? Ben growled. What the fuck indeed? Jeff asked, kneeling down to get right in his companion's face. What's wrong with you? I just don't care anymore, man the boy seethed. Jeff bristled. Well, you need to start fucking caring. Why? Ben threw his hands up. Ashley's fucking gone, man. What do I have to live for? Oh, boo fuckity hoo, the skinhead replied with disdain, voice raising an octave. Like you were the only one who's ever lost someone. I- Ben's lips flapped like a fish. Uh, but- yeah, that shut you the fuck up, didn't it? Jeff snapped. No more kitty gloves for you. He grabbed Ben's collar and lifted him from the floor, shoving him down onto the couch before flopping down next to him. Look, man, I know you're hurting. I've been there. When I was 15, I watched my brother die. And worse, it was my fault. We were dicking around at a construction site, and I knocked over a pallet of rebar when I was playing on the second floor. I didn't know my younger brother was below me. That shit just cut right through him. I lost my way for a long time after that. Hell, it's how I eventually ended up with these. He patted his chest where his tattoos were. So I know where you are coming from. Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of you going through a self-destructive phase, or hell, even a grieving period right now. You need to keep your head on straight and focus on the task at hand, which is surviving to see another day. And if you ever start thinking it's not worth it, just remember, 
In a matter of weeks, you could be one of the smartest people on Earth. And if we survive long enough, that might actually be valuable. He tapped his temple. Ben sighed. Thanks, Jeff, he said quietly, nodding. Jeff clapped him on the back. Anytime, brother. We're all clear, Sparks said, striding back into the room. Doors are locked, and nobody else is in the house. Well, nobody else alive. How bad is it? Jeff asked. Let's just say we're sleeping on the couch tonight, she told him. Unless you want to do a load of laundry for the sheets. Couch works for me, he agreed and stood up. But first, we need nourishment. In the meantime, why don't you all try and dial us up some news? I didn't realize you were a gourmet, Jeff, Spark said in an amused tone as she sank down onto the love seat. You should temper your expectations a bit, he admitted as he headed to the kitchen. However, I do make the best bachelor chow this side of the Red River. If it means I don't have to cook, I'm all for it, the redhead smiled, and he returned it just before he disappeared from the living room. Ben clicked the button on the TV remote, but there was nothing but static. Damn, nothing, he murmured. Try some of the 24-hour news stations. They've got to have something, Spark suggested, leaning forward as he flipped through the channels. Doesn't look like they have cable or satellite, Ben said as he got through them all. And all the local channels are out. Who the hell doesn't have TV these days, Spark scoffed. Check that laptop over there. They might have Wi-Fi, he said and motioned to the desk in the corner. Good call, she agreed and strode over, opening it. It was on, but she was met with a password screen. Well, so much for that. She sighed as she pulled out her phone. And of course, no reception, so we're in the dark. Ben found another remote in the couch and pointed it at the TV, triggering the stereo system. He flicked to the FM channels, and soon Spark's voice came out of the speakers, her recorded message. Tuned into college radio? She raised an eyebrow. That may be a first. No, this is 102.9, Ben replied, shaking his head. So another station must have picked up the broadcast and is replaying it. He hit scan, and every station they found was playing the same broadcast. Spark's heart skipped a beat as she sank back down onto the couch. Well, we did our part. We got the word out, she said as Ben clicked off the stereo. Now we just have to hope it did some good, he replied. Jeff emerged from the kitchen, carrying three beer bottles. I hope y'all are hungry, he said with a grin. Just put a frozen pizza in the oven. Looked like there were at least four different kinds of meat on there. I'm a vegetarian. Sparks deadpanned. Jeff stopped in his tracks. Oh, I mean... He motioned behind him. I think there was a head of lettuce in the fridge. He pursed his lips, looking defeated. Her face erupted into a massive smile, and she laughed. Sorry, Jeff, I couldn't resist, she said as she waved him forward. I mean, come on, dude, I'm a police officer. I have a hard enough time being taken seriously in the precinct without opening myself up to a barrage of, well, I got some meat you'd like to eat, jokes. Thank fucking Christ, Jeff said with a sigh, extending a beer to her. The trio leaned back into the cushions, taking a sip of ice-cold beer 
to enjoy a well-deserved break from the horrors of the day. Chapter 3 The sun shone cheerfully down on the dock, illuminating the trio of survivors as they loaded up as much as they could onto the small boat. How much gas have we got? Sparks asked as Jeff hauled two mid-sized cans into the watercraft. I siphoned off ten gallons from their SUVs, so that should get us pretty far upriver, he replied. Although in retrospect, I should have done this before having coffee. All I can taste at the moment is Exxon. Ben opened the small box of food they'd managed to pack from the kitchen and produced a half-full can of salted nuts. Here, this should help with the taste some. Thanks, Jeff said as he popped the top and took a handful. Whoa, 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 easy there, Ben said, putting up a hand. These rich folk are all about eating healthy, which means there wasn't a lot in the way of non-perishables. We have maybe two days' worth of food here before we're out. The skinhead sighed and dumped half of the handful back into the can, tossing it back to Ben as Sparks untethered the boat from the dock. Well, Captain, he asked through a mouthful of nuts. How are we looking? Looking pretty good for the time being, Sparks replied as the boat floated lazily away from the docks. We got a lot of river ahead of us before we hit any sort of civilization. Define civilization, Jeff said, raising a concerned eyebrow. Don't know, really, the redhead admitted. The river runs right into a town called Comfort. He shrugged. That doesn't sound too bad. Well, it's on the I-10, and it's large enough to have a truck stop, she warned. So it could potentially be trouble. Well, that's future us's problem, Jeff replied, propping his feet up on the side of the boat. I say for right now, we sit back, relax, and enjoy the scenery. He playfully waved her off. Captain, away we go. She chuckled and rolled her eyes, firing up the engine. Sparks killed the motor as the boat approached a dried-up portion of river, floating as far as the boat allowed until it bumped into dirt. Now what? Jeff asked. Sparks studied the GPS app on her phone. We're still several miles from comfort, but it looks like if we cut through the woods in that direction, we'll come up on a small township, she said. Doesn't look that big, like the size of a neighborhood. Lead on, Captain, unless you think the better course of action is to sit in a dried-up riverbed eating snack food until the sun goes down. The skinhead was already stepping out of the boat. All right, let's go experience small-town Texas, she agreed, and tried to offer Ben a smile. He avoided her gaze, simply exiting the boat with his knife in his hand. Sparks led the trio through the overgrowth. They were lucky it wasn't too thick, and soon they came upon a two-lane road. There was a tree line on one side, and a farm with a white picket fence on the other. Stay alert, she instructed, cocking her gun and starting down the farm side of the road. If something jumps out of the trees, be ready to get over that fence. They moved down the road, eyes darting all around, though the air was still and quiet. So do we want to find a house to bed down for the night? Ben spoke up, startling the other two. I don't like the idea of being this exposed once the sun goes down. We will, but we need to make sure we aren't in a bad situation first, Sparks replied. The center of town, if you want to call it that, is at that intersection up ahead. If we don't see anything major, we'll find us some place for the night. When they reached the four-way stop, it seemed like there was nothing major. There were no zombies, no people, and no cars save for one truck sitting outside of the country store. Looks like the entire town just bolted, 
Jeff commented. Sparks shrugged. Can you blame them? Well, what do y'all say to picking up some beer and snacks from the store before breaking into a home for the night? He asked, a spring in his step as he moved towards the store. Ben nodded. Yeah, I can eat. Jeff reached for the doorknob, but Sparks grabbed his wrist, raising her gun. Hold on, listen, she hissed, and the other two did so. There was a faint banging sound from inside the store, and she left the door to pick up a few metal planter sticks. Don't waste bullets unless you have to, she said as she handed them to her comrades, holstering her gun. Follow my lead. Ben, you stay behind Jeff. They nodded in agreement, and she opened the door, leading the way into the small store. There were four aisles of goods, candy, and chips, with a small cooler of drinks to the right. The banging came from two zombies behind the counter, slamming into a closed, windowed office door. Sparks waved to Jeff and held up her metal rod, motioning that he should be ready with his. He joined her at the counter. Hey, boys, she said and slammed her hand down on the wood, drawing the attention of their enemies. The zombies screeched and ran full tilt at them, slamming their torso so hard into the counter that their heads lurched forward. In unison, Sparks and Jeff stabbed forward, rods boring into brain. Bold move there, Jeff commended as the bodies flopped to the floor. Sparks lifted the hinged part of the counter and skirted behind to make sure the zombies were dead. Well, after the bridge, it dawned on me that these things aren't that bright. Figured this would work. She winked at him. The office door slammed open, causing the trio to startle and whipped to the sight of a muscular man with white hair holding a pump-action shotgun. Who in the ever-loving fuck are you assholes? He demanded, voice gruff. Whoa, easy there, old-timer. We don't mean you any harm, Sparks replied, raising her palms to him. These are my friends Ben and Jeff. I'm Sparks. Ah, hell, girl. He lowered his weapon, a huge smile breaking out across his aged face. I know you. Yeah, she's the one from the radio, Ben put in, lowering his own hands. Radio? The man furrowed his brow and shook his head. What in the hell are you talking about, boy? This here's Lacey Sparks. I saw her whoop the Dudek brothers' asses in that Texas deathmatch a while back to claim the championship belt. Man, that cowbell's a bitch, ain't it? Sparks laughed, scratching the back of her head. Yeah, you ain't kidding, old timer. You did what? Jeff blurted. She shrugged. I'm also a pro wrestler. All righty then, he simply said, unable to even be surprised anymore. Well, little lady, you can call me Rufus, the white-haired man introduced. But before we exchange any more pleasantries, it'd be good to secure the joint. Pretty much everyone has gotten the fuck out of Dodge, or they barricaded themselves into their homes to die in peace. But I think we'd all feel a lot safer knowing that we're locked in. Jeff nodded. Agreed. Now, if you fellows wouldn't mind tossing these critters out the front door, I'll get us some beverages. Rufus motioned to the zombie bodies. And it ain't much, but I have some sleeping bags in the back. Probably not a good idea to be out after dark. Don't worry, ma'am. You can have my cot for the night. Oh, that's sweet, Rufus, Sparks said, sincerity lacing her tone. But you don't have to give up your bed for me. Well, you done stole my heart after you landed a flying dropkick off of the top rope, so stealing my bed for the night ain't no big deal, 
He replied with a wink, and she chuckled. Thank you, Rufus, you're too kind. She offered him a genuine smile. He waved for her to follow him. Come on, let's go get you something to drink. Everybody's dinner okay? Rufus asked, motioning to the microwaved burritos on the table. I know it ain't Taco Bell fancy, but I hope it works for you. Jeff swallowed a huge mouthful. It's fantastic, Rufus, thank you, he said, and Ben simply raised his finger in an A-OK sign as he stuffed his face. Sparks nodded in agreement as she chased her own mouthful with beer. Rufus cracked open a second beer, mouth set in a thin line. It's getting real bad out there, ain't it? He asked. End of the world bad, Rufus, Sparks said. End of the world bad. It's a damn shame, he replied with a shake of his head. I know I ain't got much, but I enjoyed most of my life and wasn't quite ready for it to end. Most of your life? Jeff cocked an eyebrow. What, were you married to? A chuckle rippled around the small apartment. Ha, huh, I like this one. Their white-haired host waggled a finger at his guest. Now, never quite made it that far, I'm afraid. Had a girl when I was younger, but didn't work out the way I'd hoped. So what happened? Ben asked. Nom happened, Rufus replied with a shrug. Did two tours in the jungle and didn't come back the same. I didn't blame her for leaving me. Hell, I'd have left me too. She moved to the big city shortly after then, and my pops brought me into the family business. Been working at this little country store ever since. I mean, it ain't the exciting life like being a pro wrestler, but it worked for me. Well, Rufus, if you've wanted some excitement in your life, I think you're about to get it. Sparks finished her burrito and wiped her mouth, leaning back with her beer. Now, Sparks, I gotta warn you, Rufus continued. My doctor hasn't given me the okay to do what you are proposing, but I'm totally willing to roll the dice. Frankly, I can't think of a better way to go out. I had a little something different in mind, but just for the record, Sparks said with a sly wink. He wouldn't survive the night with me. Well, if you ever hear me beg for death, that's what I'm asking for, he replied with a wink of his own. Duly noted, Rufus, she said with a laugh, and then leaned forward with a sigh. Back to my original point, however, I think you should come with us when we continue our journey west in the morning. I don't know, little lady, it's tempting. He shook his head, but I'd really hate to abandon this place. You'll get to shoot a lot of things, Jeff interjected. Rufus stroked his chin. Will I get to blow shit up? Sparks and Jeff shared a look and a shrug. If the situation arises, yeah, she agreed. You're officially our blowing shit up expert. Well, hell, I'm in, Rufus replied, a grin erupting on his weathered face. Once the sun comes up, we'll throw everything we can in the truck and head up the road to the truck stop in comfort. Once we're gassed up, We'll head out on the highway. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Chapter 4 All right, that's the last of it, Jeff said, as he heaved the last case of bottled water into the back of the truck. Rufus had a stash of a few months' worth of MREs, which was a godsend for an apocalypse like this. Man, this is some good stuff, Ben commented as he sipped at the large cup of coffee in his hand. Y'all need to try this. Oh, you like that, do ya? Rufus asked. It's a Vietnam brand I fell in love with when I was over there. Been important it since the 70s. It's like crack in a cup. Jeff snapped his fingers. I'll have to get in on that. And after we're properly caffeinated, are we ready to hit the road? Sparks asked. Almost, Rufus replied. Need y'all to follow me, if you will. He led them around the store to a separate entrance that was padlocked tight. He unlocked it and tossed the chain aside, opening it into a storage room. There was a massive gun safe inside, and after he punched in a multi-digit code, he opened it to reveal a cache of weapons. Holy shit, Rufus, Ben breathed. The older man squared his shoulders. America, get some. He turned to the trio, whose mouths were on the ground. Well, go on, don't be shy. Get you some weapons. Just leave the M16 to me. That beauty kept me alive in the jungle, so kind of hoping it does the same for me in this situation. Jeff reached out and grabbed the AR-15, handing it over to Sparks immediately. Here, between the three of us, I feel confident in saying that you are going to put that to the best use. Not going to argue that, she agreed, giving him a little salute. He grinned. Hey now, did I not save your ass in the stairwell with only a handgun? Imagine what I can do with this. She raised an eyebrow. He nodded. Point taken. The guys loaded up the rest of the weapons into the back of the truck, stuffing ammo in between cases of water. Rufus hopped up into the driver's seat, and Sparks put a hand on Ben's arm as he started to climb into the bed of the truck. You ride shotgun, she said. Thanks, but I'll be all right in the back, he replied. It wasn't a request. Sparks shook her head. I'm a better shot than you are, and if we get surrounded, I'm going to need to be able to get to the target. He nodded, and she clapped him on the back as he hopped into the cab next to Rufus. Jeff reached down and took Sparks' hand, pulling her up into the bed with him. So when were you going to tell me you were a pro wrestler? He asked in a teasing tone as they took their seats against the back window of the cab. She shrugged. You're a middle-aged man living in rural Texas. I kind of assumed you already knew. Hey, I'll buy that, Jeff agreed. He smacked the roof of the truck, and Rufus punched the accelerator, taking them towards comfort. The journey was short, but as soon as the truck hit the I-10, the road wasn't serene and quiet any longer. Sparks and Jeff popped to one knee and readied their guns. There were several cars on the side of the highway. Some burned out, some overturned, but all off to the side of the road. Rufus drove slowly towards the truck stop, Sparks and Jeff on high alert. There was a large military-style personnel carrier with almost a dozen 55-gallon drums that someone was filling with gas. 
a shot rang out, causing Rufus to slam on the brakes, and then eight men in camouflage fatigues stepped out from behind various positions of cover. They aimed their rifles, and the tallest of the crew stepped forward. What the fuck, man? Rufus poked his head out of the window. We just need a tank of gas and we'll be on our way. Sorry, old-timer, the tall, dark-haired soldier replied with a shake of his head. But you aren't going to need that gas, because we're taking your truck and everything in it. He motioned the men flanking him, and they started to move forward. Sparks popped up, leaning on the top of the truck, aiming her gun. You ain't taking shit, soldier boy. The man who'd spoken, clearly the leader, chuckled. He held up his hand to stop his men from moving any further. Oh, isn't that cute, he sneered. A woman who thinks she's tough because she's got a gun. Tell me, sweetheart, have you bothered to look at your predicament? We have you flanked and outgunned. What do you think you're gonna do exactly? Take me out? Well, I hope you're one hell of a shot because... He smacked his chest. Kevlar, bitch. So it's headshot or nothing. Sparks yawned. You done yapping? By all means, he said with a flourish. The floor is yours. Well, upon further review, I'm guessing you guys are wannabe soldier boys, given the physique on some of y'all, she said and cocked her head. Looks like the last thing they took out was the country kitchen buffet. And to answer your other questions, no, I'm not aiming to take you out. I am, however, aiming at the dozen barrels of highly explosive liquid you have sitting in the open not ten feet from where you're standing. So if any of these fat fucks take a single step towards me, we all go up in flames. He contemplated for a moment, before signaling for his men to move back. So now what? he asked. Before she could respond, there was the roar of an engine in the distance, back from the way the quartet had come. Given that your boys look like they just shit themselves, Sparks deduced, I'm going to assume the people coming up aren't on your side, so I'd suggest you take what you've gotten, consider it a parting gift, and fuck right on off. B Company on the truck, the fake soldier barked, and they all piled on their vehicle. Let's move out. He glared at Sparks as the truck sped off, gasoline tanks sloshing. Two pickup trucks screeched in on either side of Rufus, and a middle-aged man with a mustache rolled down the passenger's side window. Y'all need to follow us, he demanded. Come on, man, Rufus threw his hands up. We just need a tank of gas. It wasn't a request, the man replied. Now I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you weren't with those militia assholes, but Principal Dan needs to confirm it before we can get you refueled. It's all right, Rufus, Sparks called down. Let's take a ride. One Mexican standoff is all I can handle before breakfast. Rufus sighed. You the boss. The mustached man waved his truck forward, and it sped off. Rufus followed, the other wary truck sticking around to set up a makeshift guard post around the gas pumps. Sparks sat back down beside Jeff. You know you're full of shit, right? The skinhead asked as she joined him. She raised an eyebrow. How so? Come on, you're a highly trained officer of the law, he scoffed. You know that a bullet can't ignite gasoline? Hell, at that range, I'd be surprised if you could even get a bullet through those oil drums. Well, you know that, and I know that, she replied, a twinkle in her eyes. 
but after looking at them, I assumed they got all their explosion knowledge from Schwarzenegger movies, so for all they knew, I was able to blow them all to hell. I swear to Christ, I'm stealing you a wheelbarrow for Christmas, assuming we live that long, Jeff laughed. She raised an eyebrow. Why a wheelbarrow? Well, you need something to help you carry those gigantic balls around, he replied, and Sparks guffawed. A few miles north of the gas station, Rufus followed their guide into the parking lot of a relatively new-looking high school. It was a hive of activity, pickup trucks filled with supplies coming and going, heavily armed people milling about. They parked at the far end, away from the bulk of the people. All right, the man who'd originally spoken said as he slid out of his truck. Rufus followed his lead, as did Ben and Sparks and Jeff hopped down. Their four new acquaintances faced them in a line, the two sides standing tall. Before we take you to Principal Dan, we're gonna need your weapons. Yeah, that isn't going to happen, Spark spoke up. The man put his finger on the trigger. I'm not asking. Look, man, use some common sense here. She rolled her eyes. If we were going to attack you, it would have been on the road while you were isolated. All we wanted was a tank of gas, and you insisted we go to the principal's office first. And that's fine. We'll jump through your hoops to get what we need. He tapped his finger on the trigger. Again, I'm not asking. You're also not listening, Sparks replied. We don't know you. We don't trust you. And in case you missed the headline of the day, we're in the middle of the goddamn apocalypse. So the only way I'm giving up my gun is if you shoot me. They stared at each other for a few moments, and then he grunted. Fine, walk in front of us with your hands away from your weapons, and we won't have a problem. Fantastic, Sparks said, voice lighter. We're making some headway here, so where are we going? Head to the tent in the middle of the lot, he instructed. She extended her arm in front of her like a courteous date. Shall we, gents? The boys started walking and she kept pace with them as their new acquaintances followed. A man with sandy brown hair in a bright red polo shirt stood six feet tall, barking orders like a general during wartime. It looked a bit ridiculous, with his khaki pants and the high school crest, but his personality commanded respect as he directed the busy bees around him. All right, the last report I got said that the two teams clearing out the neighborhood east of Highway 87 was running into some problems with the apartment complexes, he said to the group of armed men and women standing around a folding table. There was a map on it, and he pointed to the area he was talking about. They lost a few people securing the houses, and the zombie population was way higher than anticipated at the apartments. I need y'all to head up there and back them up. The oldest male in the group nodded and motioned to the others, who followed him out from under the big patio tent. Principal Dan, the mustached man piped up. Dan sighed, not looking up from his map. What is it, Cody? Caught these people trying to steal gas from the truck stop, Cody said. Don't know if they're militia or not. Well, given we were in a goddamned armed standoff with the militia when you found us, it's a good fucking bet that we're not, Rufus snapped gruffly. Cody, Dan asked. We got there as the militia was driving off, the mustached man replied. But yeah, it appears they weren't exchanging pleasantries. Dan stepped around the table. Thanks, Cody. I'll take it from here. 
He put his hands in his pockets and leaned against the table. Please forgive him for being a little overzealous. It's been a rough few days. Jeff barked a laugh. That's an understatement. I'm Principal Dan, used to run this high school, he introduced. Now I kind of run all of this. This is Jeff, Ben, and that cantankerous coot there is Rufus, Sparks motioned to her crew. You can call me Sparks. Sparks? The principal looked shocked. Officer Sparks, from the radio? She nodded. The same. A lot of people standing here today, myself included, owe you a debt of gratitude, he said, extending his hand to shake. As soon as I heard that message, I got a few teachers and came down here to the school to open it up as a shelter. We started warning everybody we could, and it gave us a fighting chance. Well, it seems like you've done a hell of a job so far, Sparks replied after she shook his hand. Not as good as I would have liked, he admitted. We're only a town of 2,500, but we've lost a lot of people in the last couple of days. It's been open warfare in the streets and in homes. We have cleanup crews going door to door, trying to secure the town. But as you may have overheard, we're losing people at an alarming rate. Dan, it's admirable that you want to clean up the town, Spark said gently. But you really need to be focused on moving the survivors out west. I'm sorry. He shook his head firmly. But this is our home, and we aren't leaving without a fight. You don't get it. Sooner or later, San Antonio is going to evacuate, Sparks replied. It may be survivors, or it may be a horde of zombies. In either case, they will swallow this town whole. We're aware of the possibility, and have taken precautions, Dan assured her. The first morning of this, we expected to be overrun, but nobody came. Finally, in the afternoon... Three cars pulled off to refuel, and some of my men spoke to them. Just outside of Bernie, about 20 miles down the road, a tanker truck flipped and exploded. Complete gridlock in both directions after that. So if anybody is fleeing San Antonio, zombie or not, they are going to have a difficult time reaching here in any significant numbers. And just in case, I have a couple of scouts set up 10 miles down the road to keep an eye out for anything of significance headed our way. Well, it seems like your mind is made up, Sparks said. But you need to understand something. No help is coming. We are on our own. Oh, no, we understand, Dan agreed. But we're trying to take this one day at a time. And today's task is clearing out the town. Medic! A voice in the distance cried, accompanied by screeching tires. Dan led the quartet from the tent, approaching a black pickup truck brandishing a decal for Ricky's auto body shop. A young couple exited the truck, covered from head to toe in blood. Medic, the woman screamed. We need a medic. Mary, Ricky, what happened? Dan asked as a group of people in aprons pulled an older man out of the bed of the truck. They helped him towards the school, holding a bloody rag to his bicep. The supermarket is a goddamn shit show of biblical proportions. Ricky replied, running crimson-stained, shaking hands through his dark hair. Calm down, talk to me, Dan said, voice steady. The young man began to stutter and ramble until the principal put a firm hand on his shoulder, effectively shutting him up. Mary, what happened? Dan addressed the blonde woman. 
We went in to secure the supermarket like you asked, but we were overwhelmed, she replied, shaking her head. We didn't see too many of them at first, so we thought we could take them out without backup. Ricky split us into two teams of three, with the other squad trying to flank them to create a crossfire. As soon as that first shot rang out, the three zombies we targeted became thirty. They just started pouring out of the back. We unloaded everything we could at them, but it wasn't enough. Chuck was with us, and you can see he got his arm bitten. What about the other team? Dan furrowed his brow. One of them is dead for sure, she continued. Couldn't tell who it was, but I saw one of them trip while they ran towards the back of the store. I know he didn't make it because the zombies chasing him jumped on top. What about the other two? The principal asked. I honestly don't know, Mary replied, eyes wide and sad. We had to pull out, but I swear I heard gunshots coming from the back of the store. I used to work there as a butcher back in the day, Ricky spoke up, taking a deep breath to steady his voice. They have a big-ass freezer in the back where they keep the meat. If they were able to lock themselves inside, they could survive, at least until they froze to death. They like to keep their meat cold, and them boys weren't exactly dressed for winter. All right, I want you all to hang tight for a few minutes, Dan instructed. Go get some water and decompress. I think Grandma Susie even has some sandwiches made up, so y'all better eat while you have the chance. In the meantime, I'll put something together, and we'll go get them out of the freezer. Thanks, Principal, Mary said, voice thick. Ricky nodded. Yeah, thank you. They grasped each other's hands tightly and walked off in search of sandwiches. You need to quarantine that bite victim, Spark said immediately. That bite will turn him. Yeah, I know, Principal Dan sighed. Learned that lesson the hard way, I'm afraid. In my haste to set up a rescue shelter, I didn't listen closely enough to your broadcast. We had a med unit set up in one of the classrooms, but somebody turned the first night. Luckily, a nurse was able to lock the room from the inside to prevent an outbreak. So, wait, you have a room full of zombies in there? Jeff's eyes widened. Afraid we do, Dan nodded. But it's locked up tight and closely guarded. Well, Principal, it seems like you have your hands full at the moment, so if you'll excuse us, we'll be on our way, Spark said. If you can spare us a tank of gas, that would be swell, but if not, we'll make do. So, before I say anything else, I would like you to know that I really am a nice guy, Dan said slowly, hand lowering to rest on his belt buckle. If you had met me any other time, I would have gladly invited you over for a barbecue. So it pains me to have to do this. He sighed, and Spark's stomach sank. We've confiscated your supplies, and if you'd like them back, I'm going to need your help. You motherfucker. Rufus spat. I've seen cum encrusted Vietnamese prostitutes with more class than you. I completely understand your rage, Dan replied, putting up his free hand. But I hope you understand the position that I'm in. This is a war, and not one we're currently winning. We're only a few days in, and if I had to guess, I'd say that there are more of them than there are of us still alive. And worse, when one of us falls, they typically get back up and join their ranks. Right now, it looks like I have two people trapped in an industrial-strength freezer that is surrounded by undead cannibals. If you go with Ricky and Mary and help get my people back safe, 
You can have your supplies and as much fuel as you can carry. You have my word. The officer shared a look with her crew and then took a deep breath. All right, but I have conditions. Within reason, of course, Dan replied. Of course, she said. For starters, I lead the raid. If those two come along, they follow my orders. Dan nodded. Ricky is a mechanic, and his wife Mary taught algebra, so I don't see a problem with them being led by someone who knows what they are doing. Secondly, Ben stays here, Spark said. What? The young man threw his hands up. Why? Because you're smart, Ben, she explained, turning to him. Smarter than any of us. And if we can get you to the right people, you can do a lot of good. Not going to risk your life when we don't need to. But, he protested. God damn it, I can help. I know, she replied, swallowing hard. But please do this, for me. He growled, but nodded and took a step back. Also, if this shit goes sideways and we don't make it back, I want your word that you'll get Ben to a military post, Sparks continued, turning back to Dan. He was getting his PhD studying this virus stuff, so he needs to hook up with the right people. You have my word, the principal agreed. Anything else? Yeah, gonna need a notebook and pens, Sparks finished. He nodded. I think I can scare that up pretty easily. All right. She turned to her bald companion. Jeff, you ready? He saluted her with his gun. Yep. What about me? Rufus furrowed his brow. Well, we know you're old, Jeff teased. Didn't know if you needed to sit this out. Hell, the whole reason I came along with y'all is because you promised I'd get to shoot some shit. The old man scowled. Don't tell me you lied to me. All right, come on, Rufus, Sparks chuckled. Let's go shoot some shit. No explosives, though. He grunted. Eh, you're no fun. Chapter 5 Park far away from the building, Sparks instructed. We don't want to alert them that we're here. Ricky parked in the last available space, furthest from the supermarket, and killed the engine. Rufus, front of the truck, she continued. Keep an eye on the entrance. No shots unless absolutely necessary. He saluted with a nod. Yes, ma'am. Everybody else, bed of the truck. Sparks waved the others to the back, tossing a notebook down on the open tailgate. She drew a square and put an X on the bottom of it before handing the pen to Ricky. All right, I need to know what we're dealing with. This is the store, and the X mark is the entrance. What's the layout like in there? He passed the pen to Mary. Babe, you're a better artist than I am, so why don't you do the honors? Sure thing, hun. She replied and started drawing lines and boxes. Okay, so when we first come in, there's going to be five checkout lines. Registers with low platforms for the groceries. Gonna be a pile of bodies there, too. Hopefully, all of them down for good. To the left are the main aisles. Not sure how many, 12, 13, something like that. It's not a whole lot. In the back is where the freezer is, and where we assume the survivors are. If we're lucky, those things will all be congregating there. Sparks leaned forward. So what else is there in the store? Nothing else in the back that would be useful. Mary shook her head. Wasn't my question. 
the redhead replied, raising an eyebrow. What else is there? There's a deli counter in the front, Ricky put in. His wife nodded. Oh yeah, forgot about that, she said and drew it in. It's almost directly in front of the meat market in the back. From the right aisle, you can see it from the rear. How high are the counters? Sparks asked. Ricky put his hand out in front of him. Ain't too tall, about tit high. You can just say chest high, Mary scolded. Her husband shrugged. Yeah, but where's the fun in that? You just like thinking of my tits, she retorted. Well, it is why I married you, he replied, and she playfully smacked him. Sparks pursed her lips, stepping back from the truck bed. What are you thinking? Jeff asked, watching the wheels turn in her head. She looked up at him. Jeff, how fast can you run? Oh, fuck me, he moaned. Why do I have to be the runner? Because I did it last time, she smiled. He scuffed. It was like eight feet. Fine, Sparks relented. Rock, paper, scissors? All right, now you're talking, Jeff agreed, and they faced each other intently. He threw a rock to her paper, and he grunted. Best two out of three? She shook her head. Nope. God damn it, he cursed. Okay, fine, what's the plan? Well, we're going to go in and set up a firing line behind the deli counter, Sparks replied, stepping forward to point at the map. Then you are going to sneak to the back and get their attention. Then you run like hell to us, hit the deck, and we'll mow them down. From my perspective, that's a terrible fucking plan, Jeff said. But if I was on the other side of the counter, I see the logic in it. Ma'am, not meaning to butt in, Ricky piped up. But wouldn't it be safer for all of us to get behind the deli counter and just fire off a warning shot to get their attention? Yeah, what he said. Jeff pointed to his new companion. If we do that, we run the risk of them scattering and emerging from multiple aisles, Sparks explained. With Jeff as the decoy, most of them will hopefully follow him up the aisle, creating a nice and tidy kill zone. It'll also help us conserve our ammo and hopefully prevent us from being overrun. All right, I gotcha, Ricky agreed. Sorry, Bubba, I tried. Appreciate the effort. Jeff replied. All right, let's get this over with. As they entered the supermarket, they hugged the right wall, Jeff pulling up the rear and closing the door quietly behind them. Upon reaching the deli counter, the redhead turned to Ricky and Mary. If I fire my weapon, she whispered, run. The couple nodded as she ducked behind the counter to do a sweep. There were no zombies to be seen, and she reached back to tap Rufus to signal clear. They moved in behind her, and Sparks kept her rifle trained on the store as Jeff knelt down, getting ready. Rufus and Ricky carefully rolled a metal baking sheet cart to the entrance of the deli counter to give them a bit of a barrier should any zombies make it that far. Sparks nodded down at Jeff, and he returned it with a thumbs up, mouthing, I hate you at her. She grinned and blew him a kiss. The skinhead stayed low to the ground as he held his handgun at the ready, moving through the aisles towards the banging at the back of the store. He carefully peered around the corner to see a dozen zombies hammering away at the door separating them from their frozen dinner. He spotted a shelf of canned goods beside him and carefully placed them one by one in the aisleway, 
sideways, so that they could easily roll. Once his little minefield was complete, he turned to give Sparks the thumbs up. Jeff gently stepped over the minefield and leaned around the corner and aimed his handgun at the closest zombie. The gunshot drowned out the constant drumbeat against the freezer, bullet finding its mark in the base of his opponent's neck. As it crumpled to the floor, the horde turned and set their eyes on the fresh meat mere feet away from them. He shot two more times, not hitting any heads, before turning and darting down the aisle as fast as he could. As the zombies gave chase, the first one to hit the cans slipped and fell flat on its face. The rest of them stumbled over it, giving Jeff enough of a head start to get away. Just as he cleared the aisle, he slid hard like he was stealing second base. Now, Sparks cried, loosing a bullet directly into a zombie's face. Jeff hit the deli case with his foot and then spun around, putting his back against it and readying his gun. The others opened fire, bullets tearing flesh wildly. Some of the zombies fell from being riddled, and Jeff shot them in the head as they hit the floor to make sure they stayed down. The barrage went on for a good twenty seconds, zombie after zombie succumbing to the wall of bullets. Reloading, Ricky cried as he and Mary flicked open their shotguns. The others continued to hold the horde. Two stray zombies came at them from the left, and Rufus pulled the trigger, but came up empty. Sparks stepped beside him and casually put a round in the first one's head, but then there was a sharp click as her rifle ran out as well. Jeff, she cried, and he reacted quickly to the panic in her voice. The angle was bad, and all three of his shots went into the zombie's chest. He threw his leg up, kicking the zombie in the chest, and it turned towards him, teeth snapping. Rufus leapt over the counter, plunging his knife into the zombie's head. Sparks shoved the baking tray cart out of the way and jogged around the counter, just as Jeff shoved the corpse off of him. Holy hell, man, are you okay? She asked as she reached out a hand to help him up. Jeff took it and nodded. Let's never do that again. Yeah, that didn't look fun, she agreed, letting out a relieved laugh. Come on, y'all, let's go get our people, Ricky said, and started towards the back of the store. Take it slow there, cowboy, Jeff warned. I dropped one of them back there, but pretty sure I just paralyzed him. His legs may not work, but his mouth sure will. Babe, Mary piped up. Why don't you let Sparks take the lead here? All right, baby, her husband agreed, running a shaky hand through his hair. You're probably right. Sorry, I've just seen too much death this week. Be nice to save someone for a change. He swallowed thickly as his wife squeezed his arm with reassurance. Sparks led the group down a neighboring aisle to avoid the pile of bodies they'd created. She held her reloaded rifle at the ready, staying alert. Upon investigating the back, there was one zombie still banging at the freezer, apparently stubbornly desperate for human popsicles. She slung the rifle over her back and drew her knife, motioning for the others to stay behind the shelves. She silently moved up behind the distracted zombie and planted her knife into the back of its head, up to the hilt. The corpse crumpled to the floor, and there was finally silence across the supermarket. 
She tried to open the door, but it was locked, so she knocked the staccato pattern of shave and a haircut. A moment later, there were two quick raps in response, and the door opened. Two young men emerged, shaking like leaves. They looked no more than twenty, scared and confused. Ricky and Mary immediately flew forward, each embracing one of them. Holy shit, Jason, Donna, you boys all right? The mechanic asked. Donnie's teeth chattered. I think my balls are frozen. Hate to break it to you, Bubba, but I ain't warming them up for you, Ricky laughed. Come on, Spark said gently. Let's get them out of here. She stepped into the aisleway, ushering Mary and Jason. There was a sudden shot, and Jason's head exploded all over the toilet paper. His body fell back, causing the blonde to go down underneath him. Mary, Ricky cried, dropping Donnie. But Jeff grabbed him and jerked him back out of the aisleway. Sparks caught Mary's eye and motioned for her to stay put under her human shield. The officer peeked slightly around the corner to see a militia member taking aim. Rufus took off his head with his M16, the body dropping to the ground. Another enemy continued to pop off rounds in their direction, but they couldn't see him from behind his makeshift barricade, only hear the clicks and beeps of walkie-talkie. Getting really tired of their shit, Sparks growled. Rufus nodded in agreement. If you want to flank him, I'm pretty sure I can peg the sumbitch when he pops up to deal with you. I'm taking this cocksucker alive, she snarled. We need information about these assholes. All right, what you got in mind, he asked. Her eyes twinkled wickedly. Flying knee from the top rope? She pointed to the top of the shelving. God damn, you are a woman after my own heart, Rufus laughed. What you need from me? Give me 30 seconds, then lay down covering fire, she instructed. Use the whole mag if you have to. Just aim a little high so he's forced to take cover. Yes, ma'am he said with a little salute. She signaled for him to begin his count, and then slipped down a parallel aisle. She waited for Rufus to open fire, and then shimmied up the shelves to the top, peeking down at her mark. He ducked behind his makeshift rampart, and as Rufus stopped shooting, he popped back up again, aiming. Before he could even acquire a target, Sparks leapt from the shelves, landing on top of the guy's head, with the full force of her knees. His gun clattered to the floor, along with his body, and she rolled off of her easily staggered opponent. She kicked him in the chest and then put him in a sleeper hold. The front door burst open, and Sparks drew her sidearm, pointing it at the newcomer. What are you doing there, little girl? He sneered, taking a step towards her. Sparks cocked her gun. Take another step, please. All right, let's all take it down a beat here, he replied, taking a step back. Now what can I do to resolve this situation? You can fuck off to whatever compound you call a home, she told him. He leered. I'd be more than happy to, little lady. Just hand over my friend there, and we'll be on our way. This asshole killed one of our friends, so he's coming with us, she explained. Is that a fact now? He raised an eyebrow. Yeah, it is, she replied. Squad six, squad six, sit rep. 
a voice crackled through the shoulder-mounted radio on her opponent. Squad six, sit rep, respond. If I don't answer them, they are gonna send reinforcements, he said calmly. She motioned slightly with the gun. Just remember, if I don't like what you have to say, you die. He nodded and slowly moved his hand to the receiver. Squad six here, code 62. All clear, returning to base. Shoot that motherfucker now, Rufus screamed, and she didn't hesitate, but her bullet grazed him as he dove for the door. You and your friends are gonna die, bitch, he yelled, and just as Sparks took aim again, a zombie burst through the door and latched onto his neck. We gotta go now, she cried. Jeff, on me. He skidded behind the counter as she got to her feet, gun trained on the front door. He picked up the unconscious militia prisoner and threw him over his shoulder like a sack of flour. Sparks moved to the zombie who was still chowing down on her enemy, putting a bullet in his head. She shot the dead militia member too, just to make sure he wouldn't reanimate. Her crew congregated behind her, Ricky and Mary supporting a dazed Donnie. He called for backup, we gotta go, Rufus said. How do you know that? Ricky asked breathlessly. I'll explain later, the older man barked. Go get the truck. He bent down as the younger man darted outside, grabbing ammo and the handgun from the dead militia man. Sparks led the group out to the parking lot, where they met Ricky halfway. Jeff tossed their prisoner in the back and hopped up behind him, giving Sparks and Donnie a hand up as Rufus and Mary clambered into the cab. Should be some duct tape in the glove box, Ricky said as he punched the accelerator. They can tie up that murdering douchebag in the back. Rufus rummaged and found it, passing it back through the center window. For the prisoner there, he explained as Jeff took it. All right, so how in the hell did you know he called for backup? Ricky asked as his passenger closed the window. Well, there's only so much porn a man can watch on the internet, Rufus replied with a shrug. So occasionally, I gotta visit other sites. Ended up on some ex-military militia pages. And in one of their little training books, they mentioned Code 62 is a distress call. How did you know this militia uses that code? Mary piped up. He paused. Well, I guess I don't. But these assholes have been fucking up my entire goddamn day. So even if I was wrong, I still think I'm right. Works for me, Bubba. Ricky conceded. They killed Jason and nearly killed my Mary. They can all suck a lead-coated cock for all I care. You got a romantic here, Rufus nudged the blonde, who cracked a smile. You hold on to him. Chapter Six Ricky pulled into the school parking lot and right up to the front door. Principal Dan rushed out of the tent, Worry etched on his face as everyone bustled out of the vehicle. How did it go? He asked, raising an eyebrow at the group in the back. We were able to save Donnie and clear out the supermarket, Mary explained. Ran into some militia, though. She motioned to the duct-taped prisoner that Sparks and Jeff were unloading from the bed of the truck. Is that a prisoner? Dan asked, noting the eyes and mouth were covered, as well as his hands being bound. Yep, Sparks replied, as Jeff heaved the still unconscious guy over his shoulder. Figured it would be in our best interest to get some information on these assholes, 
numbers, location, etc. There's a mostly empty classroom just as you enter, Dan said. It's across from the front office, and the only classroom before the main lobby area. If anybody is in there, tell them I said to find someplace else. The redhead nodded and led her group inside. You need to get some people down to secure the supermarket, Mary insisted, hanging back. The principal furrowed his brow. I thought you said it was clear. It's clear of zombies, but we think one of the militia boys sent out a distress call before a zombie got him, she explained. He pursed his lips. All right, the team's clearing out the east side of town just got back, he finally said. I'll send them over right now. What about us? She asked. Ricky and I can help out. No, I want you all to stay with Sparks, Dan replied. Hopefully you can try and convince them to stay. It looks like we're gonna need the help. Sparks finished duct taping the prisoner to a chair in the center of the room. She saw the tip of a tattoo peeking out from under his shirt sleeve and rolled it up, lips twisting at the sight. She straightened. Ricky, watch him for a minute, will you? She asked. Ricky nodded. Sure thing. Sparks grabbed Jeff's arm, pulling him outside into the hallway. He stared down at her. What's up? Recognize his tattoo? She asked. He unconsciously rubbed the German military tattoo on his bicep. Every time I look in the mirror, he replied. Do me a favor, she said. Stay out of sight while we interrogate him. I don't want him knowing that you are working with us. What you thinking? Jeff asked, crossing his arms. I'm thinking that those matching tattoos might come in handy if we get into a tight spot, she said. You're the boss, he said. I'll hang back. What have you found out? Dan asked, approaching with Mary and Rufus. The redhead turned to him. Just about to start. You want to sit in? These guys have been murdering my people, so yeah, I'd like to hear what he has to say. The principal nodded. I don't think this chat is gonna be for me, Mary spoke up, face pale. Can I go check on Chuck? I wanna see how his arm's doing. Sure, Mary. He's on the second floor next to the outbreak area, Dan replied. Just tell the guard I said it was okay. I think I'll tag along if you don't mind, Jeff said. Dan furrowed his brow. You're not going to help with the interrogation? The skinhead simply motioned to Sparks, signaling for her to explain. Just trust me, it's better he stays out here, she said simply. I think you've earned some trust, Dan replied. Okay, Mary, take Jeff with you. Come on, I'll give you the nickel tour, the blonde said. Jeff laughed. Well, that's good, because it's about all I can afford. Sparks led the other two into the room where the prisoner was struggling like mad to get free. She admired her secure handiwork, and then ripped the tape from his mouth and eyes. He screamed in pain, and then blinked in shock as she got nose to nose with him. Before we get started, I'm going to be very clear. The redhead's voice was low and menacing, and sent a shiver up the prisoner's spine. I'm your only friend in this room. That boy you killed in the supermarket? He was their friend. If it was up to them, you'd already be dead, or at the very least, wishing for death. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask questions, and you're going to answer them. The first time you don't give me what I believe to be a truthful answer, Ricky here is going to go out to his truck 
and get his tools. The second time you don't give me a truthful answer, I'm going to let Ricky show you some of his tools and describe how he's going to use them on you. The third time you lie will be the last time you ever see me, because I'm walking out that door and letting Ricky do whatever he wants to. Have I made myself clear? She cocked her head. The prisoner, sweating, glanced to Ricky, whose eyes were wide with insanity. He nodded in the affirmative. Great, so the first question is going to be easy, Sparks began. What's your name? You can call me Brian, the prisoner replied, clearing his throat. Not sure I entirely believe you, but I'm willing to roll with it, she said. Now, next question. Why did you shoot their friend in the head? Well, I was just looking for some food, and I thought y'all were some of them dead cannibals, Brian replied. Sparks paused. Ricky, go get your tools. Yes, ma'am. Ricky bounced out of the classroom, letting out a maniacal laugh as he went. You want to try that one again, Brian? The officer asked. Um, I mean, he stammered. Okay, I'll level with you. Probably in your best interests to do so. She agreed cheerfully. Elijah, the militia leader, sent some of us out to scout the town for supplies, Brian began. Him and some boys got chased off from the truck stop this morning, so he figured it would be easier to send scouts in to see what was left and get a sense of how strong the resistance was before committing troops. Ricky burst back in, carrying a greasy toolbox and slamming it down on the table with a wide grin on his face. Sparks snapped her fingers, demanding her prisoner's attention. How many troops? I don't know, Brian shot back, seeming to shrink away. She sighed. Ricky, show and tell time. Wait, I honestly don't know, the prisoner cried. My cousin is a part of the militia, and when this shit went down a few days ago, he told me to get my gun and we're going someplace safe. Well, he was a part of the militia, y'all killed him in the grocery store. Well, he shouldn't have been aiming his weapon at my friend here, Rufus growled. Look, I ain't even mad, Brian protested. But I'm telling you the truth that I don't know how many soldiers he has. From the time I got to the compound, I've been running missions with my cousin. The first day we rolled over a center point and picked the stores clean, then we got sent up here. We'll take your best guess, Sparks suggested. How many people have you seen at the compound? Thirty, maybe forty, he shrugged. Could be ten times that number, though. Sparks waved Dan to the far side of the room. What do you think? He asked quietly. I think it's time for you to evacuate, she replied. Even if his numbers are remotely close to being accurate, this isn't a situation you are going to come out ahead in. We have armed men at the gas station and the supermarket, and they have cover. He crossed his arms in protest. They can handle a militia assault. Sparks sighed. And what about here? What about here? He threw his hands up. There are over a hundred people on campus. And how many of them are trained to use guns? She shot back. Ten? Fifteen? And never mind the fact that half the people are exposed out there. The weight of the situation seemed to sink over Dan's features like a ton of bricks. Ricky, please go tell Grandma Susie and the others out there that they need to quickly move inside. 
The younger man made a beeline for the door. I'm on it. So what's the play, little lady? Rufus asked, turning to the duo. Well, that depends on the principle here, Sparks replied. You finally ready to listen to me and evacuate? In the morning, Dan replied firmly. It's too risky to move this many people at night. She turned to her white-haired friend. Okay, so Rufus, this is what we need to do, she began. But the sound of gunfire cut her off. Chapter 7 Sparks and Rufus rushed to the door, guns at the ready. She took a knee and peeked into the hallway, seeing two of Dan's men take bullets and fall on the other side of the lobby. Within a moment, four militia members emerged, moving in combat formation. Militia, she hissed as she ducked back into the room. Principal, we'll handle this, Rufus said. You keep an eye on him. Sparks leaned back into the hallway and looked through her scope. I have the trailer dead to rights, she said. On my mark, move across the hall to the office. Rufus got in position as she waited. Now, she commanded, and he jumped across the hallway. The trailer whipped around and raised his weapon, and Sparks put a bullet in his chest. The other three opened fire while taking off around the corner, one staying to cover behind a row of lockers. Cover and fire, Rufus said. Move up. Sparks nodded. Go, she said, and then bolted from her position as her companion started shooting. She got to the lobby and slid behind the wall, Rufus jogging behind her as the corner guard took off. Sparks peered around and pulled back at the gunfire, waiting for a break to leap out to shoot. The trio had made it to the stairwell and disappeared inside, one staying behind a chain and padlock the door shut. What the hell is he doing? Sparks asked. Looks like he's padlocking it, Rufus replied. What the hell are they doing? Creating a hostage situation? Jeff was ready as a militia member eased the door open to the makeshift infirmary and fired off a quick round into his enemy's head. The man behind him burst through, knocking the skinhead backwards. His gun skittered across the floor, and he took a page from Sparks' book, wrapping his arms around his enemy's waist. He flung himself sideways and then slammed down, his enemy's neck snapping with a sickening crunch. Mary winced from her vantage point next to the nurse, but Jeff quickly recovered, grabbing his gun and moving to the door. There was a man by the locked door down the hall, the room housing all of the zombies from the original first outbreak of people in the school. Jeff cocked his gun, and the militiaman fired back at him, driving the skinhead back into the infirmary. He popped back out as the man finished whatever he was doing and managed to get a shot off into his enemy's back. Jeff looked back and forth down the hallway to make sure nobody else was there and narrowed his eyes at the black device attached to the locked door. Movement out of the corner of his eye as the man he'd shot fumbled with something in his hand, and it all clicked into place. Bum! Jeff screamed, slamming the door behind him and locking it. The zombie door blew open with a crack, and zombies poured into the hallway, immediately feasting on the injured militiaman. 
His screams turned to gurgles as they sunk their teeth into him. Rufus and Sparks recoiled as they heard the explosion above them. They stared at the ceiling for a beat, confused, and then cold dread fell over them both. What was that? The principal asked as he barreled out of the classroom. Are there stairs down that hall? Sparks pointed across the lobby in the opposite direction of the locked stairs. Yeah, Dan replied, confused, as the two sprinted in that direction. They threw themselves against the doors, just as the echoing snarls made it to the doors. They grunted with effort as they struggled to hold them shut, and in desperation jammed the stalks of their weapons between the door handles. Gunfire erupted outside, the sound of screaming, and then more shots. Christ, now what? Sparks huffed. The front door slammed open, and a group of Dan's men scrambled into the lobby. What's going on? Rufus barked. One of the men turned to him, wild-eyed. They're killing everybody, he cried. You, Sparks pointed at him. Come here. He immediately approached her. There's a horde of zombies on the other side of that door, so for the love of fucking Christ, don't abandon your post, she instructed. Frankie, Paul, Teddy, give me a hand, the man yelled, and the other guys bustled over to help barricade the doors. Rufus and Sparks reclaimed their weapons, rounding the corner, just in time to see more people flooding inside. A few of them dropped from bullets, and Ricky backed in, firing off some cover shots to try to get more people inside. Ricky, get everyone into the classrooms and shut and lock the doors, Sparks demanded. Stay there until we come and get you. He ducked behind the door. Where the hell are y'all going? She cocked her gun. Out. Sparks and Rufus moved down the other hallway to the side door, weapons raised. They crept out onto the pavement, and she immediately shot a running enemy in the chest. Nice shot, Rufus commended. Could have used you back in the day. They skirted the spot where the fallen militia member was, a tent with boxes stacked behind it. Blood poured out of his mouth as he struggled to get to his fallen gun. Rufus stabbed him in the skull and joined Sparks behind the boxes. Don't know about you, but I'm done playing with these motherfuckers, he said. If they want a war, they're gonna get one. Agreed, she nodded. How you doing on ammo? Got half a mag loaded in, another full one in reserve, he replied. You? She ejected her mag to check it and tossed it aside. Empty. She loaded up a fresh one with a sharp click. Last one, she said. Rufus nodded grimly. Well, let's hope there ain't too many of them. Almost as if on cue, five full-sized Humvees pulled into the parking lot to form a barricade. Two dozen armed men poured out and started setting up a perimeter. Guess we just got the advance team, Sparks muttered. A dark-haired man stepped out of the passenger side of the center vehicle, and they recognized him as the leader of the pack from the truck stop. He reached into the back seat and pulled out a heavily beaten man with his arms bound behind him. Whoever is in charge, the leader bellowed, voice carrying across the parking lot. You have 30 seconds to get out here before your friend loses his head. He put a revolver to his prisoner's temple. Shit, Sparks hissed. Rufus shook his head. 
I think the principal is out of his depth here. You think? She ran a hand over her crimson locks. You stay here. If this shit goes sideways, you take that motherfucker out first. Twenty seconds, the militia leader yelled. Rufus rolled his eyes. If he does a countdown from ten, I might just jump the gun, he said. And you'd be justified, Sparks replied and patted him on the shoulder. She sprinted back into the school, skidding around to the front entrance where Principal Dan stood, wringing his hands. Ten seconds, the militia leader called, and Rufus took aim. What, do you not care about the fate of your man here? He looked down at his hostage. Well, looks like you'll be joining your family shortly. The man's eyes were glazed, in shock from recently witnessing his family's demise at the hands of his captors. Five seconds, the leader yelled. Four, three, two. I'm here. Principal Dan burst from the front doors with his hands up. I'm here. Ah, you're the one giving me so many headaches, the leader greeted. Who are you? Dan swallowed nervously. I'm the principal of this school. I wasn't aware today was a school day. His opponent chuckled. You'd figure zombie apocalypse would be like a snow day, only more common in these parts. Be that as it may, Dan continued. Why don't you let my friend there go, and we can talk things out? Now why would you want him back? The militia leader wondered. He's the one who told us about this place, how to get in, the zombie room, everything. Now before you get too mad at him, you should know he did hold out for quite a while. Took a hell of a beating. Didn't break until we started executing his family. Why would you do that? Dan asked, desperation in his eyes. There are plenty of supplies in this town. That's the thing, Principal, there aren't. His opponent replied with a sneer. At least not enough to sustain everyone. Hell, there's barely enough to sustain me and my men for more than a month or so. But as you can tell, I'm willing to do everything in my power to give my men that month. Take it and go, then, Sparks demanded, exiting the front doors with Brian in front of her at gunpoint. Ah, the girl from the truck stop this morning, the militia leader said. Somehow I'm not surprised to see you still alive and kicking. She raised an eyebrow. More than I can say about some of your men I've come across today. I have lost quite a few troops today, but it's for the greater good. He replied in a jovial tone. Fewer mouths mean the provisions will last longer. Look, Spark sighed. I can sit here and insult your troop of wannabe army boys till the sun comes up, but frankly, I have shit to do. So let me spell out what's gonna happen. First, we're gonna do a prisoner swap. I got one of yours, you got one of mine, easy peasy. Then you're gonna take your boys back to whatever rock you crawled out from, and you're going to give us a day to evacuate. You win, the town is yours. We're keeping the supplies we have here at the school, and you're gonna let us gas up. By the afternoon tomorrow, we'll be out of here. Wow, that is quite the little fantasy you have weaved for yourself there, he laughed. Literally the only part of that you got correct is that the town is ours. Given that you are severely outgunned, let me lay out what's going to happen. For starters, your little prisoner swap idea wouldn't really be fair to me, since we have five more of yours. He pointed to the last SUV in the row, where a few of the troops were shoving hostages inside. 
Rufus and Sparks both managed to catch a glimpse of Ben's defiant face as he disappeared inside, stomach sinking. Plus, generally speaking, if you're going to take a hostage, make sure it's one that has value, the leader continued. This isn't one of my men. Come on, Elijah, Brian stammered. I did everything you asked of me. No, young man, you did everything your cousin asked of you, came the retort. He was the man I trusted. I don't know you. Brian's wrists writhed against their duct tape bonds. Motherfucker. Now, what's left from your fantasy that still needs addressing? Elijah pursed his lips in mock thought. Oh, yes, that's right, your evacuation. You have until sunup to vacate this town. Anyone still here will be shot on sight. If anyone approaches the gas station or the supermarket, they will be shot on sight. And just to show you, I mean what I say. The gunshot took off the top of his hostage's head, and Sparks immediately fired back, using Brian as a shield. The militia opened up as Principal Dan tackled the redhead back through the doors of the school. Rufus took out a few of the men from his position, causing more than one to turn towards him, but they were quickly distracted by Jeff shooting with his handgun from the second floor window. The assault was enough to spook the militia into retreating. You all right? Dan moaned, rolling off of sparks in the front lobby. Her eyes widened at the blood pouring from his shoulder. Holy shit, are you? She asked. Looks like they got me he grunted. Thank you for saving my life there, she said as she rolled him over to inspect the damage. I don't deserve all the credit, Dan chuckled hoarsely, motioning to Brian's twitching, bullet-riddled corpse. That murdering asshole there deserves some. Well, nothing wrong with your sense of humor, Sparks replied. Here, put pressure on the wound. Looks like it's uh, through and through. It's gonna hurt like hell, but you'll be all right. Help here, a panicked voice cried from down the hallway. Fuck, the zombie horde, Sparks muttered. Go help him, Dan waved her off. I'll be fine. Ricky, she cried as she ran towards the stairwell, and he poked his head out of a classroom. Where the hell is Mary, he barked. Sparks pointed up. Upstairs with Jeff. Oh, God, he blanched. First things first, she said. We gotta secure this door. You got chains in the truck? Yeah, got it. Ricky ran to the front doors, peering out just in time to see the last Humvee disappear around the bend. He darted out into the parking lot and flung open the door of his truck. Ricky? Mary's voice called out, and he whipped around. Look up. He saw the blonde and Jeff hanging out of the infirmary window, waving at him. Baby, are you safe? He asked. Yeah, can you get us a ladder? She asked. I gotta help Sparks so people don't die, but Rufus there can. Ricky held up the chain and shook it for effect, disappearing back into the school. Hang tight, be with you in a minute, Rufus called. He moved from dead militiaman to dead militiaman, jabbing each skull with his knife to make sure they wouldn't reanimate. Sparks waved Ricky impatiently as he rounded the corner inside with the chain and together they wound it around the handles and secured it. The four men that had been holding the door shut collapsed with exhaustion, huffing against the walls of the hallway. 
The zombies in the stairwell smacked against the doors angrily, the chains allowing barely any give. Mary and Jeff are safe, Ricky said. Rufus is getting a ladder for them to get down. Sparks nodded in relief. Well, at least something went right for us. So what are we gonna do now? He asked. When Rufus gets them down, bring them to the interrogation room, Sparks instructed. These assholes took our friends. We're gonna get them back. Chapter 8 Okay, we're here, Sparks said, leaning forward and marking an X on the map. Both times we've seen them leave, and they've been driving south, so we can rule out anything north of us. She looked to Principal Dan, who was sitting in the chair next to her, holding a compress against his shoulder. If they didn't get on the I-10, we can rule out anything east of us as well, he added. Well, couldn't they just take the 87 and pick it up? Ricky spoke up. You know, to throw us off and stuff? Dan shook his head. Exit's been closed a week for construction, he replied. Well, if that's the case, then they took the 27 out of town, Ricky shrugged. Sparks leaned forward. Wait, what was the name of the town Brian said they hit? Centerpoint, Dan said. It's about eight miles up 27, straight shot. They got Centerpoint? Mary bent over the map and ran a finger over the area, prompting Sparks to circle it. Had a friend who worked at the gas station. I hope they didn't hurt her. I'm sorry, Mary, the principal said. I hope she's all right. Okay, Sparks cut in, leaning on her hands. If they hit center point, then came at us, we have to assume they're somewhere on that road. Does anybody have any ideas? Well, why do you think they're off that road? Ricky furrowed his brow, motioning to the paper. I mean, look at all this empty land. They could be anywhere. See all that land out here? Rufus inquired. You know what it doesn't have? A river running through it. He pointed to the Guadalupe River. Rufus is right, Sparks agreed. If they are building this to be a survivalist compound, having a source of water would be vital. Mary made a noise of excitement. The 1350 turnoff. What about it, Mary? Dan raised an eyebrow. That's where they've got to be, she said. It's just before the quarry. There's a huge wooded area right after the turnoff, and the river runs right through it. It's where I'd build. Rufus agreed. With them coming back at dawn, we really only have one shot at this, Spark said firmly. Does anyone have a reason to think they'd be elsewhere? I'd be surprised if they were on the other side of Center Point, since it's only a mile or so until you hit the Kerrville Airport, Dan pointed out. Way too much government attention when you get that close to airplanes. All right, that's our target, she confirmed. Now all we need is a plan. The principal shook his head. I'm going to leave that in your capable hands. I have an evacuation to facilitate. Any idea where you're headed? Jeff piped up. There's a farm with a lake up 87, about five, six miles, Dan explained. It's west of the highway and just before the racetrack. It's not terribly far off the main road, but should be far enough away to give us a chance to regroup. Well, hell, I've heard worse plans today. Jeff nodded. Sparks laughed and playfully smacked him. Hey. Hey, Jeff, he replied, voice a high falsetto. How fast can you run? She pouted. 
Point taken. Principal Dan, if you can spare us, I think Mary and I are going to stick with these guys. Ricky cut in. This looks like it's going to be bigger than a three-man operation. Dan raised an eyebrow. Sparks? We're happy to have them, she replied. Good luck. See you soon. Principal Dan took his leave and exited the classroom. So, Sparks leaned over the map again, lips in a thin line. Anybody have any grand ideas on how to raid a militia compound? Because I'm open to ideas. Ricky, you got a pair of wire cutters I can borrow? Rufus asked suddenly. Big ones. Yeah, I got a pair in the truck, Ricky replied, brow low in confusion. Sparks crossed her arms. You aren't thinking of going in there alone, are you? I did this shit back in the 60s, Rufus replied. So I don't see why I can't do it when I'm in my 60s. I can get in there and secure the hostages, but getting out's a whole other story. Jeff tapped his chest. I think I might have an idea on that. That could work, Sparks agreed. What the hell are you talking about? Ricky asked. Jeff has a way to get their attention, she replied. If nothing else, it will distract them and give Rufus a chance to find the hostages. Only question, though, is how are you going to be able to signal us? We're not exactly flush with communication technology at the moment. Rufus grinned. I could whip up some hillbilly dynamite. Well, I did say you were our resident blowing shit up expert, Sparks conceded. This seems like as good a time as any. Rufus clapped his hands. Awesome. Y'all got a science lab here? A surprisingly well-stocked one, Mary said. Come on, I'll show you. Well, thank you, ma'am. Rufus tipped an imaginary hat at her. Ricky, if you don't mind, while she takes me there, could you run out to the maintenance shed and see if there's any fertilizer? Come on, I'll give you a hand, Jeff said. I'll meet y'all at the truck, Sparks told them. Gonna collect some ammo from those militia douchebags we took out. Rufus, can I ask you a question? Mary piped up as they entered the science lab. You can ask me whatever you want, little lady, he replied. She took a deep breath. What's hillbilly dynamite? Well, in a nutshell, it's fertilizer mixed with a variety of common chemicals in the correct portions, he explained. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, I myself have a proprietary blend that I'd like to think gives it an extra kick. I would share the specifics with you, but pretty sure doing so would result in you being put on a government watch list. Why would that matter? Mary raised an eyebrow. The world is ending. You're right. We're dealing with the apocalypse. So the last thing you need is Big Brother giving you headaches. He winked. Well, is there anything I can do to help? She asked, motioning around the lab. You know what? There is something you can help me with. Rufus replied with a snap of his fingers. You have an art room? Her brows knit in confusion. Um, yeah. Good, good, he said. If you can go down there and bring me back some red, white, and blue paint and a big old brush, that'd be great. She couldn't help but ask. Why do you need the paint? Why? Rufus straightened. Because this is America, goddammit, and if there's one thing we do, it's blow shit up real nice. 
So whenever I make Hillbilly Dynamite, I feel it's my patriotic duty to pay tribute to the red, white, and blue by painting it on the bomb. She shook her head. I, yeah, I'll be right back. Chapter 9 Mary pointed from the back seat. Gonna be about a half mile up on the left, she instructed, leaning beside Sparks' shoulder in the passenger seat. Ricky nodded. Got it, he said. Stop the car, Sparks cried, and he slammed on the brakes. What the hell? Rufus cursed as he and Jeff smacked into the rear window from the bed of the truck. He glared inside at her, and she held a finger to her lips, pointing past Ricky. On the side of the road was a cattle pen, full of a few dozen zombies. His jaw dropped. What the fuck is that? Jeff breathed. Looks like their secret stash of zombies, she replied. Given the fatigues, I think it's some of their own men. Well, why in the ever-loving fuck would they keep them? Rufus asked. Who knows? Sparks shook her head. Maybe they want to set up traps around their compound. You know, chain them up and stuff like a guard dog. Jeff shrugged. Or use them as cannon fodder. What do you mean? Sparks raised an eyebrow. They could set them loose on their enemies, the skinhead replied. Why fight against gun-toting people when you can send a wave of zombies at them? I mean, hell, I'd rather face off against ten zombies than one guy with a gun. Hey, Rufus, Sparks asked, suddenly getting an idea. How much of that hillbilly dynamite you got? I had enough material to make two bombs, he replied. She smiled. Remote detonation? Timed, and it's not very accurate, he admitted. Pretty much once I dump the mixture into the fertilizer, you got about 20 minutes before it goes boom. And there's a two to three minute margin of error in there too. I can work with that, Sparks decided. How long you think you're gonna need to get into the camp? Rufus shrugged. Assuming their compound is in that tree line there, I could be on site in five minutes if there's a chain link fence. What if they have something sturdier? Jeff asked. Rufus held up his hillbilly dynamite canister, painted red, white, and blue. 20. All right, Rufus, this is what I'm thinking, Sparks said. Put one of those bombs at the zombie pen gate. Three minutes later, I want you to mix the second bomb. Jeff gaped. Are you crazy? Hey now, this is your plan, she retorted. He blinked at her. Mine? Yeah, you're the one who suggested zombies could be used as a weapon, she said, shooting him a sweet smile. We're gonna open that gate, then signal them. Jeff shook his head. My brilliance is a curse, he moaned. Rufus, you on board? Sparks asked. Rufus grinned. Eh, what the hell? Sounds like a party. Chapter 10 Jeff strolled up to the front gate of the compound, hands in the air, completely unarmed. He took in the simple chain-link fence that was about eight feet high, topped with barbed wire. Two spotlights flicked on, and a trio of armed men aimed their weapons. Don't take another fucking step, one barked. Whoa, 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 Jeff countered, spreading his fingers to accentuate his palms. Easy there, cowboy. The guard shook his head. You need to find someplace else. 
I heard this was the place for me, Jeff replied, grasping the hem of his shirt. The guard cocked his gun. You don't want to do that. Easy, the skinhead cooed. I'm just taking my shirt off to show you what I mean. Do it slow, the guard sounded confused but intrigued. When Jeff revealed the German military tattoos riddling his chest, the guard grasped his radio. Tower one to Elijah, tower one to Elijah, over. What is it? The militia leader replied through the mouthpiece. Some trouble at the front gate, the guard replied. Gonna need you to come up here. On my way. Just wait there, the guard instructed Jeff. And no sudden movements. The skinhead nodded. Yes, sir, he said, and then tilted his head side to side to signal sparks that the distraction was on. Rufus slipped into the river, snipping the chain-link fence that bridged the gap between two metal-siding walls. He stayed low in the water until he was inside the compound, behind an outbuilding. He silently moved to the corner to peer out, slipping back into the darkness as a guard approached. The guard turned the corner, and Rufus bum-rushed him, slamming him against the wall with a hand to his mouth and a knife to his throat. You in a whole mess of trouble, boy, the older man whispered, planting his knee on the assault rifle to prevent it being raised against him. Now you're gonna answer a question for me, or else you're gonna choke on your own blood, you understand? The guard nodded, eyes nearly popping out of his head at the feel of the knife against his jugular. Good, Rufus hissed. Now you assholes took some of my friends from the high school. I wanna know where they are. Do you know? The guard nodded. You're doing good. Now where are they? The guard tried to speak, mouth muffled by the older man's hand. Hold on there, Rufus cooed. Now listen very carefully. I'm gonna remove my hand from your mouth. If you so much as think about speaking above a whisper, I'm gonna slit your throat. Then I'm gonna cut your dick off and throat fuck you with it. We clear? The guard had lost four shades of color in his face and nodded ever so slightly to agree to the terms. Rufus moved his hand very slowly away from his mouth. They're close, the guard whispered, so quiet it was almost inaudible. Two buildings away, not the one directly behind you, but the next one. Guards on the door, Rufus asked. His prisoner nodded. Should be two, but there's a back way in, I can show you. He gasped as the blade pressed harder against his throat. Or I can just tell you. The older man grinned. That's the right answer. There's an access panel on the back of the building where you can put in firewood for the stove, the guard explained. Really? Rufus raised an eyebrow. A wood-burning stove? The guard nodded. Elijah wanted to be prepared for everything, including running out of fuel. Speaking of that... Where did all that gas go to from this morning? His captor asked. It's at the end of this row, came the shaky reply. No more than 30 yards. Rufus smiled. Boy, I want you to know you've done well. So are you gonna release me? The guard asked shakily. In a manner of speaking, Rufus replied, and covered his prisoner's mouth again, quickly slitting his throat. The guard struggled for a moment before losing too much blood and going limp. 
The older man set him down in the shadows and wiped off his knife, checking his watch. Shit, eight minutes, gotta move, he hissed to himself. He moved through the shadows, checking each corner for more guards before clearing the space between the buildings. At the end of the row, he spotted the fuel truck. There was one guard at the tailgate, watching the rest of the compound. The door of the building behind him opened, and half a dozen armed men wandered towards the front gate. Well, looks like whatever Jeff is doing is working, Rufus thought to himself. As the guard by the fuel turned to watch the group approach the gate, Rufus lunged out of the shadows, planting his knife into a fresh throat. They fell to the ground, and the only thing the guard could think of to do was reach up to his neck. It was an effort in futility, and he bled out before Rufus managed to spring up and drag the body behind the truck. He peeked back out to make sure nobody had noticed him. Half a century later and still got it, he murmured, and stabbed the militia guard in the head for good measure. Rufus took out a small container from his pack and set it next to the gas cans, darting back into the shadows to get to the hostage building. He skirted the outside and was amazed to find that the access panel actually existed. Wow, guess that kid actually thought I was gonna let him go, he thought, and slipped into the storage room. He peeked through a doorframe and surveyed the space, one guard sitting at a table reading a magazine, with five hostages bound and sitting against the wall. Rufus knew he wouldn't be able to make it undetected, so he broke off a small chunk of wood from a nearby box and tossed it at Ben. The kid didn't notice, so he did it again, until he finally glanced at the door. When it dawned on him who it was, he cocked his head as Rufus put his finger to his lips, followed by pointing to the guard. Yo, guard, Ben piped up. Their captor grunted. Keep your mouth shut. That's fine and all, but do you really want it to smell like piss in here? The kid asked. The guard threw his magazine onto the table with a huff and got up stomping over to grab Ben by the collar. He growled as he shoved the kid against the wall. You piece of fucking shit. Ben headbutted him directly in the nose, and the guard staggered back. Rufus leapt out and grabbed his face, stabbing his opponent in the gut. The guard went limp as he attempted to stare down his attacker, but soon the life was gone, and Rufus stabbed him in the skull. Rufus, Ben blurted. What the hell are you doing here? We ain't leaving anybody behind, the old man replied gruffly. How are we getting out of here? The kid asked, turning around so that his rescuer could cut his bonds. Transport is gonna be here any minute now, so we need to get you all ready to move, Rufus replied. And when Ben was free, he handed the kid a second knife. We gotta hurry. Why? Ben asked. Because any minute now. We're gonna be sending a huge signal that we're here. The older man replied with a grin. The kid's eyes widened at the thought of the potential mayhem his ex-soldier companion could have planned. So what do we have here? Elijah asked, approaching the fence. Jeff stood on the other side, hands still raised. The guard stiffened. He says he wants shelter. And you decided the best course of action was to disturb me rather than shoot him in the head? Elijah snapped, narrowing his eyes. He's got some relevant ink, the guard explained quickly. I didn't want to assume anything, sir. Really? The militia leader raised an eyebrow. 
Okay, that buys you, let's say, 30 seconds to explain how you came to be on our front doorstep. Look, I did a stint in Bear County lockup a while back, and some of the boys in there told me about y'all, Jeff replied. When shit hit the fan, I figured the best place to be was among brothers. That's why I'm here. Elijah crossed his arms. And who were these boys exactly? I'll be honest with you, it was so long ago that I've forgotten their names, Jeff admitted with a well-placed wince. Really tried to block out that part of my life, if you know what I mean. And exactly how long ago was that? Five, maybe six years ago, Jeff replied. Is that a fact? Elijah raised his chin. That's funny, seeing as how we didn't start this compound until three years ago. Shit, Jeff muttered. Hey, look, man, I don't know what to tell you, he said louder. Can somebody please shoot this asshole so I can go back to bed? Elijah asked, almost sounding bored. But there was an explosion in the distance. Jeff put his hands out in front of him. Whoa now, if you shoot, you all die. Explain. The militia leader held up a finger to signal his guards to hold their fire. That sound you heard was a homemade explosive that opened the gate at your zombie pen just on the other side of those trees, the skinhead explained with a wry smile. So right now, there are a few dozen zombies milling about just looking for a place to run to. They hear the sound of your guns. They're gonna pay you a visit. Elijah sighed. I don't know what your game is, but one shot echoing through the air isn't gonna attract much of anything. With perfect timing, the second batch of dynamite exploded, taking the gas canisters along with it. A fireball shot 40 feet into the air, taking the two buildings on either side with it. How about that, asshole? Jeff cried, as sparks opened fire on the distracted guards. The skinhead turned and barreled back to the tree line as the guards dropped like flies. He reached her tree and started to climb beneath her as the camp descended into chaos. Ricky's truck plowed through the front gate, forcing Elijah and his remaining stunned guards to dive out of the way. One militia member wasn't quick enough and caught the front grill with his face, ending his apocalypse adventure in a brutal fashion. Elijah pulled out his handgun and aimed at the truck with wild eyes as men staggered out of the barracks in panic and confusion. The thunder of zombie feet caught everyone's attention, however, and Elijah whipped around to face the front gate. Open fire, he screamed. A few guards tried to climb the tower by the front gate, but sparks took their heads off as they tried. Their bodies fell down into the zombie mosh pit happening below, caught up in a river of rotting flesh. She aimed back down at the leader, but he and a few of his men disappeared into a storage building. They slammed the door on one comrade left outside, and he pounded on the glass as the zombies descended onto him. They tore him apart, covering the window in fresh crimson. Ricky sped around the compound, looking for some kind of signal. Where in the hell is Rufus? There, Mary cried, and pointed at a white-haired man hanging out of a window with a high-powered flashlight. The guards giving chase to Ricky turned to concentrate on the horde instead, giving him time to skid to the opening door. Everybody in, quick, Rufus shouted, brandishing an assault rifle as he waved the hostages forward. Ben led everyone into the bed of the truck, and the older man covered them, firing at the remaining militiamen so they would be easier zombie food. Rufus, let's go, Ben screamed, and he leapt up into the bed, 
pulling the tailgate up behind him. The kid smacked the roof hard, and Ricky punched the accelerator. Bullets flew everywhere, zombies feasting on fallen militia, those not wounded attempting to retreat to the buildings that weren't on fire. Rufus looked down at one man that reached up to him as they drove by, eyes begging for a bullet as three zombies gnawed at his lower half. The older man simply smiled as a fourth zombie bit into the man's cheekbone. Just as they were clearing the gate, Rufus caught sight of Elijah peering out through the glass door of the storage building. Ben, smack the roof, he instructed. The kid did a double take. Why? Just do it, Rufus demanded. He did, and Ricky slammed on the brakes as Mary slid open the back window. Did we lose somebody? Ricky asked. Rufus shook his head. Back up 10 feet, he said. Are you crazy? The driver snapped. Just fucking do it, Rufus cried, and Ricky sighed, backing up. Elijah narrowed his eyes, wondering what the hell these terrorists were doing. But then he realized what was going on as the old fuck in the back raised his assault rifle. Eat it, motherfucker, Rufus declared as he let the bullets rip into the building. The glass shattered and Elijah's head disappeared. Ricky looked in his rearview mirror and saw the zombies change course at the sound of the rifle. Hang on, we're out of here, he cried and sped off, pausing at the tree line so that Sparks and Jeff could hop into the bed. Holy shit, Sparks let out a relieved laugh. Did we pull that off? Oh yeah, missy, Rufus replied with a grin. We hit him so hard that grandkids will feel it. What about Elijah? She asked. I had a shot on him, but had to take out the guards first so they wouldn't get Jeff. The skinhead saluted her. A move I approve of. He was in some storage building near the entrance, Rufus explained. I shot it up pretty good and took out the glass on the door. I don't know if I got him or not, though. Well, if he does survive, he's going to have a hard time making much trouble now, Sparks shrugged. That's for damn sure, Rufus agreed. Ain't gonna be a whole lot of them boys left. Ben nodded. Ain't that the truth? Old Rufus here is a cold-blooded motherfucker. Slitting throats and blowing shit up, the older man said wistfully. It's like I'm back in Nam. Chapter 11 The sun was just peeking over the horizon as Ricky pulled into the driveway of Principal Dan's new farm. There were a few school buses parked to the side of the massive farmhouse. The leader himself came out, arm in a sling with his shoulder bandaged, followed by a few other townsfolk. Is everybody safe? He asked as Jeff opened the tailgate to let the passengers out. Yep, Sparks said as she dismounted. We were able to get out all the hostages, safe and sound. And the militia? Dan asked. Rufus did a number on them, she replied. If they are survivors, they aren't gonna be looking for a fight anytime soon. He let out a deep sigh. That's a relief. I still wouldn't recommend going back to the school, she added. As it turns out, that's not an option anyway, he replied. Sparks furrowed her brow. What do you mean? Well, we had an encounter on our way up here. He scratched the back of his head with his non-wounded arm. I, um, I need you and Ben to come with me. Someone wants to talk to you. Dan, what's wrong? 
The redhead's pulse quickened. Nothing's wrong, he assured her. In fact, you might actually want to hear this news. So grab Ben and come on. If you want us, you're getting my team, she shot back. Dan put his hand up in surrender. Fair enough. Hey guys, somebody wants to meet us, Spark said, and waved her companions after them. The principal led them inside to the dining room. There was a military man sitting there in proper fatigues, flanked by two soldiers. Captain Evans, I'd like to present Officer Sparks, Principal Dan introduced, and the captain stood, extending his hand. Officer Sparks, you are one difficult woman to track down, he said, though not unkindly. She chuckled as she shook his hand. What can I say? It's been a hell of a few days. Can't argue with that, ma'am, he agreed. She straightened up and looked him in the eye. So, Captain Evans, what can I do for you? Well, Officer Sparks, she put up a hand. Just Sparks. Okay, Sparks, he corrected. I'm based out of Camp Bullis in San Antonio. When shit went bad, my orders were to follow up on your radio message. I led a small team that raided Dr. Alveson's lab and secured his notes. How useful was the info? Sparks asked. The basics you covered in your radio broadcast were incredibly useful, he told her. Last I heard, they were enacting a nationwide security plan in response to it. But the belief among a lot of us is that it will be like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. I don't want to dismiss what you did. It undoubtedly saved lives. However, it remains to be seen how many or if it will matter at all. She furrowed her brow. What about his notes and research? To be honest, we can't really make heads or tails of it, Evans admitted. Which is why I had to track you down. The top page of his report said that two of his research assistants, Ashley and Ben, were escaping with you. My hope is that they were still with you. I'm Ben. The kid stepped forward. But my girlfriend Ashley didn't make it. Captain Evans bowed his head. I'm sorry for your loss, son. Appreciated, he replied. So what can I do for you, Captain? Evans straightened. My orders are to take you back to base. You want to take me back to San Antonio, Ben deadpanned. Are you fucking crazy? Camp Bullis got overrun yesterday, the captain explained. Lots of good men died in the process. So no, I'm not crazy, and I'm not taking you to San Antonio. I'm, the kid stammered. I'm sorry, Captain. It's all right, Evans replied gently. No, I'm taking you to our mobile base. We have a few ships stationed in the Gulf and have set up a research lab so you can work. Ben swallowed. Why me? Look, Ben, I'll level with you. Evans sighed. We know you're not the best of the best, but you could very well be the best we're gonna find. We have satellite uplinks on these ships, so if we're able to secure more experienced researchers in this field, you'll be able to help relay the doc's findings. Look, the bottom line is, we need you. Your country, and hell, the entire world needs you. You should go, Ben, if for no other reason than you can escape this madness, Sparks cut in. So that's it? The kid clenched his jaw. Y'all just kicking me to the curb? Sparks put a hand on his arm. Come on, Ben, it's not like that. Gotcha, a grin erupted on his face. I'm just fucking with you. After being kidnapped, I think I've had my fill of apocalypse world. She smiled in relief. I'm glad you're going. And hey, if it's not too much trouble, Jeff added. Can you find a cure for this shit there, Chocolate Thunder?
Sure thing, Whitebread, Ben replied and extended his hand. Jeff took it, and they did a surprisingly warm bro hug. The kid turned and embraced Sparks proper, and she gave his shoulder a reassuring squeeze as she pulled back. Well, Captain Evans, what about us? She inquired. Can you get us out too? Unfortunately, I can't, Evans replied, having the grace to look regretful. We're barely going to have enough fuel to make it to the ship as it is. Any more weight and we're swimming. No worries, Captain, Sparks replied. Just had to ask. I can offer you some advice, though, he said. Get as far west as you can. Austin is on fire, and San Antonio is completely overrun. Those hordes are going to be moving out sooner rather than later. She nodded. That's the plan. Is there anything you need that I might be able to provide? He asked. Gear, Sparks replied immediately. Specifically, we need communication gear, even if it's a carrier pigeon. Evans laughed. Don't worry, the U.S. military is a little more advanced than that. And yeah, I can hook you up when the chopper gets here. Should have a few sets we can spare. Appreciated, Captain. She saluted him. Sir, chopper inbound. One of the soldiers touched his ear. Two minutes. That's my cue, Evans said. Let's move out. Well, at least we can talk to each other now, Jeff said as the chopper flew off into the distance, carrying Ben with it. Principal Dan sighed. So what's next? He asked. There was a long moment of silence, the only noise the fading blades of the helicopter. Well, hell, Ricky piped up. I could go for some breakfast. Sparks laughed. That's the best idea I've heard all day. End of book two. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.